speaking of the death of John the Baptist. For Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying John the Baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said it is Elijah, and others said it is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter, Herodias, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you, you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptizer on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, and yet out of regard for his oaths and for his guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. May God add a blessing to the reading of this book. heavy passage this morning. Herod, King Herod, Herod Antipas was a puppet ruler. He wasn't actually a king. Uh, he was placed in charge by Roman authorities uh, to oversee the area of Galilee that this is taking place in. His power was very limited. It was, it was marked by greed and marked by fear. And oftentimes when people are afraid of losing power, they are willing to bulldoze and take and kill anyone in their path. Uh, he was the son of Herod the Great, the same Herod that was in the Bible when Jesus was born. He and his, and his brothers were Archelaus and Philip. They were point, appointed over Samaria and the Decapolis. And so Herod the Great's sons kind of oversaw this whole area. Herod Antipas divorced his first wife, uh, Phasilus, and he married his brother's wife, Herodias. So John the Baptist was put into prison because he was somebody who never really kept his mouth shut. He saw something and spoke against it. He spoke against political empires, against political corruption, against political alliances that were formed upon the pain of other people. 
He was murdered because he spoke truth to power. And what's interesting is what we'll see in the Bible as we keep going through the passage in Mark is that we'll keep seeing the same kind of pattern. Jesus was also murdered for similar reasons. He didn't outright speak against specific things like John necessarily did, but he was very strategic through his parables and his stories and his demonstration. Jesus even called the religious elite a brood of vipers. And you can kind of get this similarity between the two with Herod and with Pilate. Herod seemed uncomfortable with uh, John's murder, but he didn't want to disappoint anyone. He wanted to keep his power in place, and so he went through with it. And what we read later on is Pilate, with Jesus being before Pilate, we can see that Pilate didn't want Jesus to be murdered, but he also was highly influenced by the crowd around him. And so the scripture says that he washed his hands of it to like kind of step back, but yet he still went through with overseeing a murder. Both were political authorities. They both wanted to look tough and strong, but they were both truly weak and easily manipulated by fear and greed because of someone else's enemy. Now this story is kind of important because it in some ways, it tells us a little bit about ourselves. I doubt many of you have asked for your enemy's head on a platter, <laughs> at least out loud. <laughs> but how many of us have used our power or influence to manipulate our situation for our good and for the demise of another person? How many times have we allowed our sin to rewrite another person's story for our own benefit? or our own advantage. We lie to save face. We spin the truth to get ahead. We hurt people to make ourselves win the argument or get the promotion. <coughs> we convince ourselves that our business, that our behavior and our selfish actions won't hurt anybody else. And it's not their business anyway. But if we look deeply enough, we can see how our choices might cause our children pain or might be destroying our marriage or is hurting our coworker, or is damaging our planet. It's causing a disruption in our relationship with God. And I think this story can tell us a bit about ourselves and maybe that's why Mark included it in this passage with such detail. Because if you look ahead in that passage, it begins with as a flashback. This story didn't happen right there. We don't even know when it happened. But Mark included it for a reason. And what you see within this Gospel of Mark that we've been in is that Mark has this habit in the way that he writes. He writes in a way that has, it's, it's a two points that he makes, and he, he sandwiches two, one important point between another important point. And so he'll say something important, and then he'll go to another story that's not quite as important or doesn't feel like it's relevant, and then he'll come back to that story again. So it's like A, B, A is how he sets it up. And he does this in this place. So if you turn back in your Bible to the passage that we were just in, and you remember last week when we were looking at the passage of Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth where he was rejected by his family and rejected by the people in his, in his town— there is a pattern that happens here within it. It says that he was, he was a prophet 
who was dismissed as a truth-teller in his hometown and among his relatives. Jesus, who was good and kind, who healed the sick and, and called people to return back to God's good ways, was stopped from doing his important work of God's kingdom. So it says in verse in chapter 5, verse 5, it says, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 5 says, He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. So we see in this passage that Jesus is stopped and Jesus is silenced because people's hearts were closed to hearing the truth. When we're living outside of the way that we've been created to live, when we block shalom, shalom means uh, unbroken connection with God through the unbroken connection we have within ourselves, within our relationships with other people, within the soil we stand on, and within our relationship with God. Shalom is, is wholeness and completeness and all things made right. And so sin is something that blocks or breaks that connection. And when that is happening in our lives, it's really hard for us to hear the truth. Hearing the truth of our sin can cause us to bristle a little bit. And we can see that in the story that we just read. We hear of Herodias bristling by John's words against her and Herod. And so she was so upset by his words of truth that she used the situation she was in for her own advantage. This story of a man being manipulated and used by a woman is not meant to be disparaging towards women. If you look in this passage of the scriptures right before here, we read the story of the woman who was bleeding, and Jesus heals her because of her great faith. And right after this, there is a story of a Canaanite woman whose daughter is dying, and he heals her daughter because of her great faith. However, there is something to be said about the historical ways that women have used men in a manipulative way by playing upon their weaknesses. I remember being at a wedding once where the pastor said to the husband and the wife standing there, he looked at the husband and he said, you are the head of the wife. You are the head of the family. You are the one that is meant to lead. And then the pastor turns to the wife and and he says, to make it maybe a little bit more tolerable or something, he says, the wife is like the neck who can then move the head in the direction the head should go. (laughs) And I, okay, that is super ungodly thinking. It's really unbiblical. (laughs) Because instead of seeing marriage as a partnership of co-equals with differing strengths they bring into that partnership, Marriage becomes about a clamoring to be seen and heard and respected in a very manipulative and unhealthy way. And I see this real human response in what we just read, where there's this inequality between the husband and wife. And so she, to get her way, she has to seize this opportunity to manipulate the situation And together, even though Herod is uncomfortable with it, even though he doesn't want to, he might wash his hands of it, but together they silence the discomforting voice of truth. If you knew all of my sins, 
and you called me out in the way that my sin was harming myself and harming the people around me, and you did it on Facebook, and you said, this is how bad Bethany is. These are the things she's struggling with. Let's pray for her, you guys. If you did that on Facebook or some sort of public way, I would probably bristle a bit. I probably wouldn't want your head on a platter. That's a little extreme. But there's definitely a human response here. Because oftentimes when we hear truth, we bristle. We want to stop and silence that discomforting voice of truth. And Jesus' actions and voice were silenced and stopped by his hometown people muting the prophet in their midst. And John's voice and actions are silenced and stopped by Herod. And isn't this, we have to wonder, is the truth worth the consequences? Mark included this story of John's murder for a very specific reason. I, I think God wanted Mark to help the readers understand that there are no guarantees in life. Following Jesus will not always lead to greater respect or admiration or accolades from other people. Following Jesus might very well lead to rejection and a disruption in your relationships. Following Jesus and speaking the truth about God's kingdom of love might make people want to silence and mute and stop your voice. When God's changed your heart to be more generous, and not defined on how great your retirement fund looks like or how well your home is decorated. When God's changed your heart from one of a little bit of greed to one of great generosity, you begin to see in a different way how greed has also affected the friends that you have in your lives. It's also affected your friends' hearts. And in that testimony of how God has changed you, God might be inviting you to share the truth about what greed has done in your life towards those who you see it affects them. God might be calling you to help people see the truth about greed or capitalism or the Western choices that harm other countries. And there are so many ways that we silence and mute and stop shalom because of our sin. But when we've experienced the grace of God through repentance, which is the message of Jesus was to repent and turn back to God's kingdom. When we see that, God invites us to help other people see that truth. But that truth comes at a cost. Speaking out against greed or war or guns and violence or about police brutality, or kids being held in cages, speaking out against overindulgence in a country that is so wasteful, or big oil, or anything that might land you too far right for some or too far left for others, will place a target on your back. I think God had Mark write this gospel in such a way to allow these two passages, the one of Jesus being rejected and silenced in his backwater town of Nazareth, where nothing good comes from Nazareth, and John being silenced and murdered in the powers of the palace, to show that there is no safe space for the gospel. Because the good news of God's kingdom of love that Jesus preached included a repentance of sin. And any time that there is a calling for repentance, 
nothing feels quite safe anymore. Sin enslaves us. It keeps us bound to our vices and our desires. Sin convinces us that we're not worthy of love or that life isn't worth living without these things, whatever these things are, whether it's this convenience that is so easy to come by or this affair that's so easy to come by or the way to gain power and respect at the cost of others. Sin causes young girls to hate their bodies and causes young boys to believe they can take them. Sin causes us to contempt our family members and blame others for our own life choices. It keeps us bound to our regrets and to our shame, so we can't become the bearers of good news that God is inviting us into. And what I read within this passage of John's murder is that Herod had a choice in his grasp. He could have accepted the truth of his sin and experienced the grace of God's love through repentance. He could have become the bearer of good news, or he could choose to ignore it and stop that good news. And Herod murdered John. And I think when he murdered John, he probably thought that it was over. <laughs> That he could go back to his lavish parties with his, his, his great wealth that was built on, on the backs of other people just to benefit himself. But instead he was plagued with guilt and shame. No matter how much he tried to band-aid his guilt through certain kinds of excitements or how many times he tried to numb his emotions through entertainment, he knew right from wrong. And you can see in Mark 6, 16, it says... But when Herod heard about what Jesus was doing, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. This is not something that happened and then he started sleeping well again. This is something that plagued him deeply. When we have experienced the transformative love of God through Jesus Christ, what happens is like these scales fall off of our eyes when we can finally see that truth. But not every single person is quite ready for such truth. And I think that's why Mark sets up this gospel in this way. With Jesus in Nazareth, with John in the palace, and with his 12 disciples in between. If you look at that part, portion of scripture in chapter 6, verses 6 to 13 that we looked at last week, Jesus sends out his disciples into different villages. He sends them out to be the bearers of the good news truth into the different villages and towns. He sends them out in pairs so they are not alone. And he has them move into a family's home to bless that family, to live with that family, to help them with chores and family responsibilities, the, the harvesting that might come, or, or maybe that family is a family of carpenters to help with the carpentry or the masonry or whatever it is that that family needed. Those disciples moved in and became good news for that family. They grew that relationship and that friendship. And then through the relationship and friendship, they could then share the truth of God's news with them. They could help them see any areas of sin or brokenness that was holding them back from receiving God's love. 
They could invite them to confess it and to be fully a part of God's kingdom. The good news of God's kingdom, that truth of God's kingdom, continued forth after John was murdered. The the good news, truth of God's loving kingdom, continues forth after Jesus was murdered, after he was raised from the dead. And there are many ways that sin continues to try to silence and try to mute that good news. And yet, his disciples keep moving into areas of friendship and relationships to help people see that truth of the good news. That this truth truly does set us free. And so we share those stories of who we were before we encountered the saving love of Christ and who we are today because of it. We vulnerably share the ways that that we are moving deeper into perfection, as John Wesley says. We share where, where sin still gets a hold of us, that convinces us that we are unworthy from time to time. And in the power and in the strength of community, we're reminded that God's truth does truly set us free to love without abandon, to release the fear of how others will see us, to live fully into God's kingdom of grace and peace. Last thought before we go into our time of uh, communion this morning. I, I wonder about this story. I wonder if Herod and his family thought the pain of, and the guilt of their sin would eventually be stopped with the death of this truth teller, if, if it would eventually quiet down, slowly quiet down. I wonder if there was hope that in the silence, or, or hope that with John's voice being snuffed out, his disciples' voices would be stopped too. But it says here in verse, in 6 verse uh, 29, On hearing about the death of John, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. We have the choice to either Silence and stop the good news because it just feels too risky. We have a choice to to let go of seeing that truth, to move forward away from it if we want. Or we have the choice like John's disciples to show up in the pain and the uncertainty of it all. To acknowledge the death of what is gone and to create new space for real life, new life to be reborn. The gospel never stopped moving forward. I'm sure Herodias and Herod and multiple other peoples tried to stop the gospel moving forward, but you can't mute truth. You can't silence good news because we're created as people. We are created to receive that truth of God's love for us. And sin might try to stop such good news, but yet it continues to prevail because when there are Jesus' people moving it forward, it can't help but continue to prevail. So Jesus, as we move forward into this life, into into our week ahead, may your truth be so certain in our lives. May you reveal anything in us that is broken, something that is causing pain in our lives or in the lives of others. May we be able to see the truth of that and repent of it 
May we come back to your kingdom, your goodness in this world, and be the bearers of such good news, of your grace and your love.